Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I'm Derek. All right. And Derek, man, we have been on a roll recently, dude. Rolling. A roll, man. You remember, like, I guess we were moving and, and we took some time off and we, we took like a hiatus of a few months, but we had just been killing it. We had the, the Weezer bite. We got Goiko, which I'm super stoked about that episode. We got, man, just so much stuff happening and I'm super excited. Also, I want to let you know, man, I've been working on the peak software shit stickers. I'm super excited about that. Um, we talked about that in the Goiko show, um, but uh, it's, it's awesome. I'm kind of going for this like... Uh, you know, the the opposite of like high tech, it's going to be super analog, kind of like maybe like handwritten. I'm not really sure. Kind of scripty looking stuff. I'm stoked, man. Peak software shit. Um, we're approaching it, man. Goiko <laughs> X retro time. Uh, <laughs> keep an eye for that, guys. We'll, we'll let you know when we release those. Yeah, you're right. But anyway, we got another guest today, Derek. Tell us a little bit about uh, Brian, man. Yeah, this is, uh, this is an distinguished guest for me personally. I... Uh, as a friend of mine, I used to work with him back at uh, a little company called GE Capital, um, little, which little has company. since, yeah, it's a bigger, bigger company. Um, he's an architect, and when I met him, he was the only architect that sounded like he was making any sense to me, <laughs> you know, because before that, I had you know, many architects who would uh, speak about things very grandly. Or speak about things in such abstract terms that I didn't understand what they were saying. After G Capital, he went and moved out to California. He's been uh, in a, ver- a variety of companies out there, um, just living that Silicon Valley life. Yeah, you, you know how he does. Um, and so, yeah, so really honored to have you on, Brian. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me. You bet. So on the, on the Silicon Valley note, I got to tell you a quick story before yes, we get going. I just got to let you know. When we moved out here, I had never seen Silicon Valley, never even watched a show once. And uh, I, I went through an experience where I applied for a position out here. I had a fantastic day-long architecture interview where I was asked to whiteboard some solutions to kind of a, a known company's problems and et cetera, et cetera. They were a little smaller then, but basically I came in, I whiteboarded a bunch of stuff all day. People came in, took pictures, felt like one of best interviews I'd ever had. Uh, and then two days later, I got a call that, uh, that they were going to, they were going to pass. And uh, a buddy of mine was like, you drew on the whiteboard that came in and took pictures. You got Silicon Valley. Oh, they stole oh, your what shit. What does that mean? No. <laughs> it's like some companies will just keep postings for engineer oh, and architect positions. Awful. Have man. people come in, pick at them for how would you solve this problem and get a day of free consulting. That is absolutely awful. <laughs> that should be criminal. I cannot believe that's a thing. That was my welcome. That was my welcome to Silicon no Valley. Fucking way. <laughs> Brian, you just ruined my day. <laughs> you know, it kind of warms my heart. Kind of warms my heart because the first part of knowing you have a problem is asking for help, right? Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're asking through help through a shady, like not real job interview. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. You know, but it'd like, be funny if you went in there, you, you like designed a back door right in there and they like took it right. and then you told it like it just crashed uh, and like, I don't, I don't know if they can. And then you call up old Putin. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's so, it was, yeah, that's the worst. It was like any other whiteboarding session. Yeah. Jeez. So that was like one of your first experiences out in in uh, Silicon Valley. Yeah, and then you started paying two thousand dollars a month for rent. <laughs> right, right, right. We got here and uh, 
made it through like, you know, as soon as we finally got here, GE started shedding a lot of stuff in digital. And so I was a little worried when I got here. I was like, oh, am I going to be part of a round of layoffs? And I was shocked. I was like, you know, we just got here and it doesn't look like there's a lot of people doing work, but I'm not getting laid off. And then I found out like, oh, well, it turns out in California, you can't be laid off if you've just been reload there within 90 days, right? So I found out later that like, hey, the whole reason I didn't get included in that first cut is probably just because just fortunate timing technicality oh, wow. so Man. yeah so then like my my second best silicon valley story is my exit from ge digital where they basically called me into hr eventually and we're like you know we're doing another round and we're sorry to tell you that your position has been included in that <sighs> and uh i had an interview the next day that i was really worried about with a company called pivotal and i was worried mm. because ge had reloaded me to California and mm. things were going really well with Pivotal and I didn't want to get to the end of the interview and have to go, also, I need you to help me pay my reload clawback so I can't leave GE. I literally got laid off, like notified of release of that responsibility the day before my final interview. I went in for my final interview that day. They IPO'd during the last interview. Wow. <laughs> oh my goodness, dude. That's like, lucky, I guess. There, right? yeah. People are happy that, hey, High we're going to go. Yeah. yeah, so... I get to be there for like people who find out they're going public. So like, cool. Yeah. That's a fun intro. That's a very, that's a very then, Silicon uh, Valley thing, I guess. And then I get to I call GHR back the next week and go, you know, you can fire me this week. I don't, you don't need to wait three months. Yeah. You I'll save you some week. money. Right. Job. That's, that's crazy. Right. So wow, it all, man. it all worked out really, really well. It was just like being released from that reload uh, without them knowing I was looking. And then kind of having to pretend that I was really upset at the time because like, how can you do this to me? We just moved. But in the back of my head, I'm thinking, oh, thank God, I've got this interview tomorrow. Yeah, and if man. it goes well, I can just take the job. Oh, that's so, nice, Yeah, man. I was pretty happy. Amazing how stuff uh, works out. If you're yeah. going to get laid off, that's the way to do it. <laughs> so what was it like, that, it. that jump from G? I always wanted to ask you this. What was that like, that jump from G Digital into a company like Pivotal? The views are very different. I mean... Maybe we the the culture uh, kind of um, espoused certain views, but they weren't always practiced. But you know what I mean. What's that like? There is something that Pivotal latched onto years ago that you know they still have managed to preserve even through the acquisition from VMware, which is this concept of the empowered team. You know they really really pushed on that uh, as one of the first and most pervasive you know agile evangelists as a, as a company. Right it was like get that team empowered and it just helps them make their their own decisions. Don't kind of dictate to them how the individual parts of the solution have to come together. Just tell them what you need and and let them get going. They really did believe in that and do believe in that. And that was really cool was seeing like the large scale problems that they would solve because this was a pretty small scrappy company still. It was only a few thousand people, but they were working with Wells Fargo's and Liberty Mutuals and other huge, huge, you know, companies that I would have considered enterprise folks that would never go for this kind of thing. But they did, you know, and so you had to wonder what's the secret sauce? What's the special sauce? And it really was Pivotal would say no to certain customers that looked like you just want to bring our people in to deliver. That's not what we do. Mm. We change your culture. We change how you write software. And they felt they followed through on that on that mission. Like they would turn down large, large dollar work. Uh, if they didn't think it was something where their people would win, which was really, really refreshing, especially after being, you know, just part of a, a large corporate culture like GE, which I still hold the company in high regard. But the the experience of going through 
that enterprise culture gives you much greater appreciation when you're kind of recognized as an individual with an individual skill set that might make this project move faster if maybe you can just use that, right? Like it was refreshing. That's for sure. What I really enjoyed most was that the job I took for Pivotal was really heavy travel. So I would go to my customer uh, Monday through Thursday and help them and pair with them on site and things like that. And then, and then leave and, and come back on, uh, or we would do everything remote on Fridays, but everything was paired. We would always be hands-on keyboard with the customer, no matter how technical uh, the solution was. So that's also really, really, really refreshing is that um, we don't just say paired programming XP just so that there's two bodies at, at every workstation. We do it specifically because that's how we work, right? It's not just a mandate. It's just part of how we work. And people come in and if you're not comfortable with pairing, you eventually become comfortable with pairing because you're just going to be the odd one out if like you sit there with your headphones on and and do your thing alone. Very collaborative, very, very collaborative, which is interesting because there's a lot of egos. There's a lot of people that are really good at what they do, very different perspectives, and we have to make it work. We have to make it work. That's interesting stuff, man, because I've, I've worked with that company before, talked to some of their reps, and that's how they described it. And to hear someone that's actually worked there describe it the same way, you know, maybe they weren't, you know, full of it. Um, <laughs> I'm interested to see, though, you're an architect. Your views are uh, holistic. Don't tell anyone where I work, man. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so Brian's an architect. Uh, uh, don't, don't, don't send us hate mail. I'm an architect too. Well, that's my title. You know, whatever I'm doing during the day doesn't matter. Yeah, me always, too, actually. Yeah, yeah, we're all architects. Why not? <laughs> um, but anyway, the view has to be holistic. The view has to be uh, clear. Did you see the way that you saw architecture apply really well in the in the pivotal area when you moved when you moved jobs, or was there was there some dissonance there? I had to totally go rogue. So there was a solid year and a half where I was doing architecture and the method completely in secret. Not kidding. Uh, oh, geez. Like a hundred percent. Like if you could think of a modern version of what, of what it would look like to be a, a practicing witch. <laughs> like, right? like, just imagine lots of darkness. You don't want anybody to see that you're actually doing this thing. And every once in a while, you have a you know thought where you're like, oh, should these two services be talking? You want to look at something, but you know nobody can know that there's a notional plan. So, so that's one thing. Like, I stopped calling anything architecture. I've started calling it all a notional end state. Right, because mm. that just sounds so much easier for people to absorb than than an architecture. No, 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 this isn't an architecture. This is just what I think we're going to build. <laughs> right? Then I just have to use the Vulcan mind trick to make them think we're going to build that too. Hey, you get them to think right? it was these are the droids you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> right. And then it's um, how do you get people to then embrace their own idea that it's it's a good idea to have some architecture if they've spent their whole kind of career railing against architecture, right? It's like you have some interesting moments where if you make somebody feel like they have ownership over that idea, maybe they feel a little dirty now too, right? (laughs) All Mm -hmm. of a sudden they want to plan something out. Sometimes people don't want to come out and admit to it, but then literally you'll have people call you later and be like, I was uncomfortable in the meeting because I didn't fully understand where you were going, but it looked like what you were doing was actually working code. Can you walk me through whether it works or not? And then you walk them through and they're like, yeah, no that this makes sense. We should be doing this. But then we have the same uncomfortable conversation, which is we're in a culture where architecture is not accepted. What should we do? And it, it's always a little painful that we have to have that conversation, but I've, I've just grown accustomed to the fact that that conversation will be had every time um, I give any inkling that there may be a plan, a notional plan for how the code should be arranged. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I, I'm 
feeling a lot of the same kind of things and um, interaction pushback that the UX teams get. Because a lot of times UX, like myself, I'm, a, I'm an experienced architect, UX architect. So it's a lot of strategy. It's a lot of planning. And a lot of teams are really uncomfortable with that. Um, and so it's it seems like it's sort of similar. Like they're okay with the tactical UX, which is designing a screen, right? Laying out a form. We already know exactly what the form fields are. Laying out right. that. They're okay with the UX designer designing yep. that. But when it comes in and you ask yep. the question, do we really need this form field? Do we really need this? Is this really the right way to lay this page out or the right workflow or the right interaction? You tend to get that sort of same pushback because people sort of don't see it. They might not see the bigger picture. And I, I don't know, maybe yep. there's a lot of parallels there. It's kind of interesting that we're, we all have the same type it, of architect. Yeah, there's um, a guy that I, uh, that I, I still learn a lot from Yuval uh, Lowy, who is somebody that I introduced his stuff to uh, Derek when I was back at GE. And he's got this whole thing, uh, which is the iDesign method and it's volatility based decomposition, which is basically taking your system that's in front of you. And instead of decomposing based on features, which is kind of what we instinctively feel we should do to move fastest, instead try to decompose based on common area of change and then get those features from integration. And one of the things that Yuval has said so first of all, before there were microservices, he was saying every class a service, right? Which basically says a microservice. But what he was also saying at the time is you should be tied to your UX architect. Like basically mm -hmm. he was he's, he was yeah. saying, and this was back in like 2010. So people still would raise their hands and be like, what is UX? Is that just basically UI? Sure, yeah, yeah. And when he yeah. would have to explain that no, 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 UX is a totally different discipline. UX is like sitting down in a fighter plane cockpit and deciding what information needs to be glanceable and how can I make sure that they can get to that information without killing themselves, right? That's a mm -hmm. user experience problem. It's not really an engineering problem. It's how does the human operate and what's the right. least cognitive load we can put on this person to have them change tasks, yeah. right? If you pair that perspective with somebody who wants to do the same thing with the system, right? Now I want to look at the system and say, What's the least impactful thing? Like, what, what can I do to make change as, as uneventful as possible in this system? Like, uh, we used to tell Derek, like, make it thump. Make it thump. Yeah. Don't make it ring. When you drop it yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. That, that's actually, I think, how Derek and I started working together so closely was that concept, the UX architect and the, U and the software architect yeah. need to be in sync. And we actually were talking last week about, uh, not last week, a couple episodes ago. <laughs> it all it all like just it all runs blends, together now, man. Derek. Yeah. Uh, but we had an episode talking about onboarding um, with a new team, and we said, who you know, as an as a UX or architect, who's the person to go to? And um, we kind of said, you know, the architect, the UX architect, the software architect should be working very closely and and in in sync. And uh, I couldn't agree with that more. I think, um, yeah. you know, visually, it's like simplifying it visually and simplifying it technically. And I think you can you yep. can have those two teams work very, very closely together to, to simplify everything. Yeah, totally. And, and, and Pivotal and, and now VMware, they have a, a huge, their whole practice is based on user-centered design. So they put mm -hmm. a huge amount of value in the UX side of things. Um, but where they also, where they make the sacrifices, you know, by enabling the team and making the team kind of the first class unit of, of um, decision points and flexibility, that team ends up just working off of what the UX uh, team puts together, right? There's no, there's nobody kind of planning the code 
at the same time as the UI is, and UX are being planned, right? It's um, mm-hmm. more of product pairing with these folks and then bring in the technical team. And I think that's the, that's the ingredient that we're missing that on yeah, a few projects, we've started to actually embrace it and uh, it's happened by accident, yeah. but it's helped us yeah. move faster. Yeah, that's kind of something that, that I've, I've noticed quite a bit um, is that UX tends to pair with product early on right? It makes sense. You've got to understand the problems and you've got to understand the, the business requirements and things like that and simplify them. But one of the things that we started to do in our, when, when Derek and I were working together with that team was we started to include the software teams in that conversation and including one of the, at least the senior folks, senior front end dev, maybe back end dev in those conversations. So they yeah. understood the problem because as a, as a UX designer, I have seen over the last, I don't know, 10 plus years I've been doing software UX design is that the engineers, if they really understand the problem, will contribute to the design in, you know, infinite amount of ways. I mean, like they, they've come up with stuff like, well, this, uh, you know, we have this component, maybe it makes sense to use that here, or we have this other way to build it or right. whatever. And, and they can, if you, if you work together, especially from the beginning and they understand the problem, it makes it so much easier when you start to build it, you know, and I've even found, um, you know, when, when we're, especially enterprise, really complex problems you're trying to solve. When you get into writing user stories and they just don't understand the context for that thing that they're writing, they're going to write something and it might be okay, but there's a good chance it might be like really rigid and it might not be flexible and it might not actually work. And, or they might have a million questions and like, why are we doing this? This doesn't make sense. But if they understood the larger context, you, you don't have to have those conversations and you save a lot of time, right? And they could just start building the right stuff, you know. And so it makes it a lot easier if everybody's kind of on the same page from the beginning. Um, so I, I agree with that completely. That that kind of cross-functional team doing discovery, even engineers. I mean, there's no reason not to. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think that is the strength of our of our process. That the pivotal process that they've managed to keep intact when we moved into VMware is the engineers are super super empowered, right? Mm-hmm. It's just I feel uh, that the industry itself, not VMware specifically, but the industry itself is trying to push itself away from architecture when I think that architecture is really the thing that's going to save the industry if, if it can be saved, right? Like there's a reason that there are teams that exist for rewriting software. A huge part of our business used to be called AppTX, App Transformation. We would go in and find software that needed to be modernized or uh, kind of needed the needed to be rewritten very 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 quickly. And if there's that much of a book of business out there based on um, fragile software, like we're doing something wrong. As an industry, <laughs> maybe we, right? Maybe Not we should that be I building better software. Being employed, but yeah, right. Why are there so many people like me flying all over the country to help you know customers either take a system that they thought they knew how to build and really figure it out this time or and sometimes we show up and they, they didn't even know that they didn't even want to build the thing that they did build. But the thing that we ended up talking about in a side discussion, that was the thing they really wanted to build. And they should have mm-hmm. figured that out. And the last vendor was there, but at least now we have a chance to to do it. Right. So yeah, more architecture, not, not less. And, and, and uh, you know, one of those things that I figured out recently is I was trying to, you know, every once in a while, like, uh, like something leaves my mouth that I, that I try to write down because I think it might be useful to say again later. And, uh, I realized that, you know, everybody was looking at the architect as a, like, 
why are you focused on just performance? And then I start to realize like, or why do you focus so much on performance? And I started to realize performance is an overloaded word. I don't want to just build things that work at scale, but I want to build things that can be worked on at scale, mm. right? I want to build things where different developers can be doing different things at the same time without breaking the whole project, yeah. which is usually the first step in breaking your project, right? Just get two developers <laughs> to do two different things at the same time. <laughs> yeah, right. Step one to break your project, right? <laughs> but no, they can actually get the thing done, especially if they speak a lot. They can get the thing done and they can integrate and they can give you something beautiful and something strong and you can move on with life. And and so, yeah, um, the idea of not just building something um, to to work at scale, but to be worked on at scale is not going to be an accidental discovery of an emergent design. It just has to be done with some intent, right? As I, as I was telling Derek, before we got all formal and started recording, uh, you know, if you're going to build a 100-story building, you show up on day one, you're going to build a 100-story building, the first five floors are due in an insanely short order. Insane, nobody can build you five floors in two weeks, but we're going to go ahead and do it. We're going to take the job. Do not build the first five floors out of wood you have 95 floors to go. It doesn't matter that you got the customer the first five floors on time. They're made out of the wrong material and the project itself will force it to collapse upon itself if you continue to build on that. Yeah. You're going to have to stop and make decisions to do things that you would have never thought to do, like make the structure wider mm -hmm. right, or replace yeah, the wood a few floors at a time. Yeah, Derek and I have had that discussion. I don't know if it was in an episode or not, but remember, Derek, we were talking about how like building an MVP is fine if, you know, it, or building like a, um, I don't want to say half-ass MVP, but like a, you know, quickly built scratch sort of scratch pad proof of concept MVP is fine if you don't expect to build every other iteration on that yeah. MVP, right? So yeah. if you want to build an right. MVP, an idea scrap generator, it, start over right. once you've figured out that it works. Yeah. Do it correctly, but you can't expect to build MVP, you know, MVP two, quote unquote, MVP Ugh. three, et cetera, Sorry, on the first up. one if it was okay. a piece of garbage to begin with. Um, and Derek and I, we worked on some software before. We're like, you know, we spent two years building the software before we ever built any kind of user management. And like developers had to go in and manually enter people in a database, right? Like to me, user management, first step, you get in there and then, and then you can build feature flags. You can build all kinds of crap off of that because you already built it. You know, it just makes it that much simpler right. to get in and start, you know, modifying it and build build in those uh, permissions and things. And your spirit you know, lives on, to, Brian. I'm just gonna let you know. We're trying to do that two years later, <laughs> right? So, um, that's so that's such a great concept, though. Don't build the first five out of wood. Oh, right? that's funny. Because that. it, it brings us to the moment I kind of like jokingly call Zoolander syndrome, right? It's like you deliver this MVP and they look at it and they're like, well, it just needs to be at least four times bigger, right? For people <laughs> to actually fit in there. Like you, uh -huh. you can't just take the model. And build that thing. Okay, great. I gave you the model. Start bringing yeah. kids to school to the center of the kids that can't read so great. Like, no, <laughs> that's just the model. It's sure. just the model. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's like it's like trying to start a family in a model home. It's like why don't all why does why does only one of these sinks work? You know, <laughs> right, right. Just yeah, got, you, you the bluths now. Yeah, the like, bluths. You know, yeah. Oh man, all over the place. Yeah. Oh, he, he gets <laughs> my always, he gets my pulls before. Uh, anyone before have any uh, always sunny uh, things they can throw in here? <laughs> Uh, I still, I still, I still love to throw out a no touching as often as I can. <laughs> no touching. I bet that was tough at Pivotal. I mean, I guess you still are, but because <laughs> everybody's always coding together. Well, it, it, uh, it became popular again when COVID came around, right? That's when I got my oh, no touching resurgence. No touching. Oh man. So we talked a lot about your 
path, your journey, some of your views. You mentioned, I wanted to tie something together real quick. We're not going to go into great detail about it because it actually takes a while to learn this stuff. But he mentioned Joval Lowy. He mentioned the method. So when he was talking about building an architecture, the the strategy, all the different aspects of it, um, how you compose a system uh, is Joval Lowy's method. He calls it the method. And uh, there's a lot of different pieces mm-hmm. to it. Um, but anyway, uh, I actually learned it from Brian. It took me, took me a while to... to pick up on it. I kind of wish I would have just started where I started when Brian left and actually go watch Javal, <laughs> like explain it himself and read some of his work. He actually released a book recently called Writing Software, which I'm sure yep. you know about, where it outlines a lot of things um, related to that and kind of broadens it a little bit. But yeah, architecture is important, man. I don't think enough people realize what they're doing to their software. You think they would. Brian, tell me this. You think they would realize it given all of the shitty software they have to work on right now. You'd think they would realize would it. Why don't they realize it? You would think. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy I work with uh, whose um, favorite saying is, and how's that working for you? <laughs> right? Because it's a frequent thing he can kind of rely on posing. It's usually rhetorical, right? Because we wouldn't be here if it was working that well. Yeah. Right? Why are you in a meeting with us right now about hiring mm-hmm. us to help with this problem? Mm-hmm. Right. It, it didn't it didn't work so well before. So the, you know, this idea that not doing something is going to make you better. Right. By skipping a step. I just can't relate to. Right. I can't I can't. It's like we architect everything else in our lives. If you're going to if you're going to leave uh, and go out in the woods for a few days, you probably want to like maybe let somebody know where you're going and have a couple of plans for how you're going to eat, how you're going to sleep, how you're going to get back. We don't just, well, many of us don't just say, I'm going to take my family out into the woods and we'll just have an emergent trip. <laughs> We're just going to wing it. We'll see what happens. I won't bring, I, I won't bring any food, you know, and we'll bring some sleeping bags. We'll bring minimal stuff, the minimal comforts that we might need, but yeah, we're just going to wing it. Things yeah. you care about, you usually have a plan, a notional plan. And where I think architecture has gotten its ass kicked a little bit is that too many people that have had the notional plan have thought that it's the only plan. And I've been guilty of that too. It's part of maturing as an architect, right? Is, is realizing that the plan may change, but what's important is that you've made a plan that can change, right? Mm-hmm. That's important because the only guarantee in life is change. So I know for sure today, day one, I don't have the whole problem solved and I never try to pitch it as though, even though Yuval's training kind of gives us this confidence that once you can solve the core use cases of the system, you really have solved the architecture. At that point, it's just a, it's just a, an idea of incrementing, right? Um, adding on more. So yeah, the, the concept is, is um, it's hard to not do it once you've done it once and felt success. You start thinking about it again, like planning a shopping list. Or anything like is shopping list gold plating your shopping experience? <laughs> Are you like a, a really unforgiving and 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 unopen to change consumer if you don't if you bring a shopping list with you? No, yeah. you just want to make the best use of your time, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, Not have to go back because you this forgot is what it all crap, comes down because you didn't write it down, right? Yeah. Right. Well, the issue it's kind of relates that too. Like it, 
you can always modify the list on on the fly, right? Like you yeah. can change it. I don't need this. I do need this. Oh, I yeah. forgot this. Oh, I don't need this thing. And you know what? Sometimes you can reorganize the item so you go to the right places in the store. You get them faster. <laughs> you know, that's what Matt would write that it twice. That, I remember you used to do that. I have an app that does that. It organizes it in like dairy and produce. Yeah. Yeah. Smart. Well, it also it also comes down to trust, right? Like you have to trust me that if the system one day, if yours, if you think that this system's best comfortable shape will one day be event driven but today just today you want to do everything synchronously you will never evolve to event driven Mm. it's a totally different architecture you're trying to take your house that you built um you know to to blend into the middle of the forest and you want to hang it on the edge of a cliff now you want to move your log cabin and make it a cliffside house like that shit doesn't work man you're gonna gravity is gonna set in and you're gonna fall off the cliff (laughs) of your house (laughs) Right, because right? like, they 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 used a totally different process to prepare that other house to live its entire life on a cliff, and they didn't do that to yours. Like you, it's a it's fundamentally different. And and I try to explain it like, uh, you know, moving plumbing in a house. People don't get it. I I use all these different analogies, but I think one has finally hit, which is if you're doing anything structurally to your house and you need an architect, is that a cheap change? Probably not. It's probably the most expensive change you could ever consider making Yeah. because you need that architect there, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're designing something that's going to require somebody with the same skill set to come back in later and make it do what you want it to do, you're building the wrong thing. Oh, man. Fundamentally, the architecture, if you need to change your architecture, you're fundamentally starting by building the wrong thing. That's what you're admitting to yourself. I'm going to build the wrong thing now and make it right later. We, uh, in our, in our chat with Goiko, we talked about this a little bit, but that this idea that, you know, uh, we're not required to have any kind of certification to do our work. Um, and people aren't required to hire an architect, but, but when you think about your example here, building permits, things like that, you have got to have an architect sign off on things. You've got to have the architecture license in order to sign the blueprints for anybody to actually build your house in the first place. But with our line of work, there is none of that kind of the wild west no like i could say i'm an architect i could say i'm this i could say i'm that and and if someone hires me and i could give my input they don't have to listen you know they could ignore it completely so yuval has this way of making us totally reevaluate our lives on these types of things and the story he told me that hit the same thing that you just mentioned is back in roman times when an aqueduct or a bridge was finished the engineer who was in charge of that structure he and his family had to sleep under it for the first night of it being <laughs> open to the public. No way. Right? Yeah, this thing. That do you trust your work that much? Yeah, right, right, right. Not only do you trust your work, but you trust your work with your kids, right? Do you like, trust that the, the most people valuable that, things? Yeah, or did you trust the team that built it? Even like yeah. right? that's the that's wow. the other part too. It's not just right. your designs. Did you trust the team that built it? The team nope. that you hired right. to build it, right? That's really interesting. Yep. That's an interesting. And and so and, and there are there are things coming right like certainly the whole Boeing um, seven three seven Max issue right. is gonna bring some level of real software certification into play right now I believe there's what's called the self certification process which you know is kind of like a honor system drug test <laughs> if you're on probation <laughs> well I looked at my pee and it didn't look like there was anything in it that shouldn't like be thank you <laughs> yeah, right. I'll see you next week it was yellow so that's you know when we're looking at things like airplanes and I don't know stock market mm-hmm. like the whole global financial mm-hmm. system yeah. I think we're going to start seeing people 
need permits. <laughs> this thing with Citibank a few weeks ago, where they accidentally transferred $800 million, right? Because the checkbox was in the wrong spot. Or the checkbox meant the opposite thing. Three different people looked at it and were like, yep, looks good to me, right? And nobody realized that, you know, the way this, I mean, and, and you can go online and see this thing, this like, this form looks like something out of Windows 95, right? And they're still using it in 2021 yep. and transferring a yeah. billion dollars with it. Um, and uh, and I will say, all because the UX was bad. If there's one case where I do believe emergent architecture and design works, and only one, and that is the case where robots run your entire world. If you are 100% automated and 100% test-driven and 100% test-covered, Fine. Maybe maybe you can actually get away mm-hmm. without architecture. It's going to take you longer. The interesting there is there. assuming but, that the humans built it correctly. There you go. Right? Right. Assuming the humans architected that correctly, right? Yeah. So, a lot of assumptions come into play right. in an instance for sure. Even then, it's it's it's, it's, it's absolutely right. And, yeah. and there's um, I I was touching on again, Derek. Like one of the the smells, the the code smells that I've seen come from emergent architecture has been this thing that I've started calling the emergent release, which ends up in an, you know, ops call, right? Yeah. Software should just go to its destination. Maybe the first time will be a little painful, but after that, like the whole pivotal way is find the road to production, right? Car, like blaze a trail to production and then just start pushing stuff down that. And that's your first step is deploy hello world to production because your hardest problem, once you have fancy accounting business, whatever app is, getting it to where hello world lives right it's, it's just out in production so get that production path first and start pushing things there right away iteration first first code to leave iteration zero so you get all the way to production those kinds of things super super helpful as accelerants but if you don't have an overall plan for how these systems are going to talk to each other it can be it can be dangerous and that's why cloud foundry was so amazing for what we did with pivotal initially is Cloud Foundry would force you into some of these decisions. I don't know, Derek, how much you remember some of your Cloud Foundry days, but you just had apps and services and way to bind things to talk to each other. And you can wrap another app as a service. But it was really, really hard to make two things know about each other with the level of intimacy that makes them difficult to release. That's what I loved about Cloud Foundry, and that's part of what enabled our process. I have noticed that as we take this process to folks that want to get on a more Kubernetes do-your-own-thing world, Right, where they kind of see that as a, a way to get to cloud without having to use somebody's opinion on what a platform as a service really should be. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when you start to run into some of the same uh, dangers that we're talking about, about like ser- like cyclical dependencies between services. And now team A can't go because they call uh, an API in team B's uh, product and team B had an unexpected issue come up. So yeah. team A has now got to wait on their release. You know, or somebody's got to come and write a feature flag API so that team A can keep moving. But now that feature flag API doesn't suit team B's needs. So that thing that allowed team A to go at the same time as team B, now team B is like, oh, we're going to use the feature flags too. We're going to change this little thing. And now team A is not only not getting the feature they want, but their feature flags broken too, because this other team consumed this thing, right? Like there's, if there's no plan, it's going to look exactly as you would expect any other endeavor to look. Put a bunch of people that are all really good at their trades on a construction site and have no plan and nothing will get built. I promise you nothing really good will get mm-hmm. built. Not even the Winchester house will get built, right? At <laughs> least the Winchester house was a, was a series of misguided plans. 
If you have no plan, hire all the people you want, buy all the materials you want, and nothing will get built. And why is software any different? I don't get it. The next step after learning that you can actually do a responsible architecture. Now, I don't want to blow anybody's minds or make anybody nervous or cause any like accidental uh, you know, loss of control of bowels, but there is a thing that comes after Yuval's how to build a system method, which is now that you've built this system, congratulations, you've actually built a graph. You can flip that graph over and turn it into a project plan with stunningly accurate predictiveness on dates. Stunningly. So mm. there's a whole other aspect to being able to take this architecture that you've built and then propose a plan of what comes first, what comes next, what can be done in parallel, all these different things. And then you apply math that I don't even understand. Thank God Yuval's brain is huge. Graph theory basically can tell you the efficacy of that plan. How strong is that network? How risky or fragile is that network if that's your plan? What other world have we ever lived in where you can actually quantify the risk of moving forward? Like there's nothing in that in the agile toolbox for that. I haven't found a quantifier for risk yet. But if you read writing software, you'll notice that only the first third of that is dedicated to. It sounds like I'm pitching something I even get a dime for. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome, you all. If you read if you read writing software, you'll see the first third of it is the only thing that's about architecture. The rest of it is about how do you deliver this at nominal cost for your customer, and that's what they care about. They don't care about the architecture. If mm -hmm. only the world understood that. By doing architecture, the so that, the value statement there is so that I have a plan for release or so that I have a plan for um, actual construction. Yeah. So that everything else can be easier, right? And it doesn't have to be waterfall. It's, again, it's not based on iterative. One of the huge things that I took away from Yuval that changed my life forever, again, is two things, right? First of all, his, his kind of zen of, of design, which is, in a well-done uh, system, complexity is neither created nor destroyed, it's distributed. That is something I live by, and, and that's just a beautiful thing, right? Like anybody that tells you that services add complexity, no, they distribute complexity. The idea here is to keep complexity as a constant, but just to spread it out. Brian, I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. I just, I just, there's, I mean, I feel like this podcast could just be like seven hours long and we just be like, just falling asleep late at night. It's like one more thing. Um, but, uh, but, uh, so I always, I always really appreciate talking to you, but in the, in the, I'd be glad in, to come on and complain once every three months if you want. Yeah, man. Oh, oh no, my God. That would be an honor. That would be an honor. Oh man. Cause there's always something new to complain about, you know, that was, that's what I like. And yet always. The old things, we can all guys complain a little more. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, with that said, um, you know, we've been chatting for a little bit. Uh, this has been an awesome conversation. It really um, has been, Brian. I, I really dig it. And uh, it, when, when uh, Derek talked about having you on, I was thinking this might be more of like a technical conversation. But I, I think uh, the nice thing about architecture, uh, you know, software architecture, UX architecture, all these architects, is that we all kind of do the same thing in different ways. Um, you guys focus on the on the more technical aspect of the computers and how they're all arranged. When and our job is more to focus on the the humans and how the humans might see the overall system. But I think our our two roles uh, play very nicely together. And and I think uh, you know for me the these two uh, roles working together, it's it's a beautiful thing. And uh, I wish more people did it. So yeah. I'm, I've been I've enjoyed this conversation quite a bit today, Brian. Thank you. 
So with that, oh, me as well, man. Thanks so much. Yeah, man. So you guys want to hit up a little bit of uh, this or that? Yeah, hit him with a couple, man. This would be a good, uh, who's, good way. Uh, yeah, who's ready for some it. this or that? All right, Brian. So listen, when we do this or that, I want you to just—I don't want you to take any time to think. I want the first thing that comes to your head. This is a way for our, our listeners to just get a little bit uh, to get to know our, our guests a little bit more. Um, so you know, some of these are software related, some of these won't be, but I think. Um, I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna dig them. So we're just gonna go hit it off. I'm gonna set a timer for about two minutes here, and again, first thing comes to your head. You ready? Go for it. Let's do it. All right. Dog or cat? Cat. All right. Phone call or text? Text. iPhone or Android? Android. All right. Mac or PC? That's a tough one. I guess I'll uh, have to. I gotta go with my roots. PC. PC. All right. IDE or Notepad? Notepad. Notepad. All right. Uh, well, this next question won't make sense. Visual Studio or IntelliJ? Oh, notepad. Notepad. <laughs> all right. Uh, Get him, Brian. All right. Visual Studio. <laughs> no, it's all. All right. Notepad. Well, Notepad. Notepad uh, beats all, I guess. All right. Um, console game or PC game? Console. All right. Form or function? Function. All right. I love asking software people this: high tech or low tech? Low tech. It's so funny how many software people say low tech. It's it's yeah. kind of crazy. All right, American football or real football? <laughs> oh, you know what? Uh, real uh, real football. Real football. All right. Right on. Uh, yeah. Star Trek or Star Wars? More of a soccer guy. Yeah. There you go. Star Trek. Star Trek, my man. All right. Welcome All right. back. Uh, come back to another welcome one. To, welcome to the party. That's your ticket uh, to the next show. <laughs> <laughs> love or money? Love. Love. All right. Pen or pencil? Pen. All right. Whiteboard or chalkboard? Whiteboard. All right. Uh, when sleeping, fan or no fan? Fan. All right. Uh, toilet paper over or under? Under. Under? Under. Huh, interesting. What is, he said Star Trek, but he said under, Derek. I don't know. That's all right. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's we don't okay. live with we'll, him. <laughs> uh, we'll send you some links, some some reading material. You said, the first, that. You said the first thing. <laughs> he remembers he can his mind. You can't judge him. On your, uh, on your I just, statement. I love like when we asked Goiko this and, you know, he's from Europe and uh, the oil over under thing was like totally foreign. He didn't know, even know he thought we were talking about wiping over or under. You're like, which uh, hand? So funny. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, uh, let's see. The, um, all right. Uh, Tesla or a bike? <laughs> Tesla. Tesla. Okay. Um, save or spend? Dave. All right, last one. Paper book or ebook? Ebook. Ebook. All right. That's it. That's all I got. Oh, all right. So now, now our guests know you like Star Trek, and and you're an undermand. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll, 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 just, well, everybody we'll save was freaking it. out with the whole toilet paper thing, and I was like, I don't get it. You know, when COVID was really uh-huh. raging, toilet paper was gone. I was like, it's it's got two sides. <laughs> what is everybody so worried about? <laughs> I reuse, I reuse it. Just reuse it. Save save the paper. Save the trees. Save the trees. Oh. Cool. Well, that's All it right. for me, Derek. All right, that's it for me. Take it easy, guys. All right. So a couple of a couple of uh, shout outs before we we head out. Check us out retrotimepodcast.com. Uh, get your stickers, retrotimepodcast.com slash stickers. Check us out on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, all that business. And uh, keep an eye out for those Goiko X Retro Time uh, stickers. Uh, we're going to have those soon. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about those. Keep an eye out for that. And uh, that's it, man. That's all I got. All right, Brian. It was great having you on, man. Great talking to you. Take great care. catching up, dude. Absolutely. Fantastic seeing you. Take care. Right, take it easy.
Oh man, you know my favorite thing. Honestly, I don't. This is uh, an audio podcast. Obviously, there may be a video version at some point. But uh, my favorite thing about being in an uh, in a in a video meeting is when dummies would do this. Hey, give me a high five. Give me a high five. They want to high five each other, <laughs> and so they assume the other person can see the exact same thing. So they put their hand up to the screen and they want to high five. I was I did I was actually at the like first this, NBA like game like that like oh like like this yeah like in the, in the screen. you know how <laughs> NBA paired with Microsoft and they did the Teams whole thing where they uh, they were able to like put people in little seats and everything like that for the NBA games during the um, during the bubble last year. Well, if you're not familiar, I went to the first one and everyone was drunk. Everyone was drunk at their house <laughs> watching the game and there was this so, one lady that just kept putting her hand up trying to give me a high five anyway i'm, I'm confused very uh That's how did amazing. this work you 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 were on microsoft teams and i was they, on teams like, and they they cut you out and they, they had cameras that like projected onto the seats yeah and the, like well it projected into a, a giant board giant screen but it looked like there were a lot of people in seats to make the players oh, feel like there were actually right, fans right, in the right. stadium um, Except it was, it was totally quiet. Was <laughs> it was very quiet. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, so um, well, we went off track there. But anyway, um, okay. it happens. This <laughs> is retro time, Derek. Brian, um, yeah, this is retro time. We go anywhere we want. That's our. It's our. It's our rules. It's our show, um, Damon. Damon, it's our show. That's true. Oh shit! I forgot to say I'm Jeremy. <laughs> oh shit! All right, do over, Mulligan. Yeah. <clears throat> hey, what's up, everybody? Oh, <laughs> We got it. We got a good outro over here anyway.